I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 18. I'll begin reading in verse 16. We've already looked at the first part of this chapter. We'll finish this chapter today. Genesis chapter 18. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Now Yahweh said, shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I, will, for I have known him so that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of Yahweh to do righteousness and justice so that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So Yahweh said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah has, is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before Yahweh. Then Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put to death the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do justice? So Yahweh said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, if behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Then he spoke to him again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will, not I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will, not I will not do it if I find 40 there. And he said, Now behold, I venture to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I will speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, Yahweh departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray your blessing upon this precious word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to unpack this passage today so that we can get a glimpse into your heart, a glimpse into your attitude. 
so that we can understand you better and glorify you even more. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we saw that Yahweh had visited, was visiting Abraham. Actually, he was passing by Abraham's house uh, in order to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to verify the sinfulness of that city. And Abraham saw this as an opportunity to invite them into his home and provide hospitality. And Abraham became an example of hospitality for believers down through the centuries of of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And that hospitality that Abraham gave provided an opportunity for conversation, for dialogue, back and forth. Uh, while they were seating at the, the table where they were uh, being hosted by Abraham, the conversation was Abraham's son, that Abraham would have a son. And as they got up to go, Abraham goes out with them and, and travels with them maybe a little way as we, we do when people are, are leaving and we continue to talk and the conversation continues on. The conversation turns then to the destruction of Sodom. The, the wicked and evil city that maybe Abraham could even see in a far distance, maybe even hear some of the outcry himself. That's the very purpose of God's visit was to investigate that city. And God is about to bring his wrath upon that city, unleash his wrath upon these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them in apocalyptic proportion. Fire is going to rain down out of heaven. It's going to be amazing stuff. It's God's wrath on display. And we will see God's wrath. And that's going to be in chapter 19 next week. We need to understand a little bit about God's wrath. Um, And wrath can be a little hard for us to understand because we have a human perspective. Wrath is is just a a strong anger or or fierce anger. And we tend to see wrath as a a sinful thing because we've all been spanked by people. Well, maybe not all of us, but many of us have been spanked by people who are are just unleashing their wrath upon us. Um, Maybe there's a time that you can you, you can point back to. I know in my own life it was deserved but it was done in anger. And so we associate that wrath, that anger that was poured out on us, and we, we associate it with, with sin, with sin many times, that we, we just kind of think that, that way. It's hard for us to not or to disassociate it from, from sinfulness or uncontrolled anger. Okay? Uncontrolled anger. And that's never... A good thing. We uh, we see extreme or, or violent murders today, and, and we call them crimes of passion. You might hear that term from the policeman, uh, where, where there's just no restraint, no restraint. So it's hard for us to understand that there can be a righteous anger, that there can be a, a perfect wrath. And we've seen in the past that, that God, we talked about God's wrath in the past, that, that God's wrath, there's a tipping point. At some point, His wrath is going to be poured out upon men. Now, He is patient, and the Bible says He is slow to anger, slow to pour out that wrath, but at some point, it's going to be poured out. We know that. 
God's wrath is different from man's wrath. God's wrath is different from man's wrath. In um, Revelation, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 12, we see that uh, in verse 19, we see that uh, Paul reminds us of this. He says, never take, let me um, go back to the, well, never take your own vengeance, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God's wrath is different. God, God can have uh, perfect wrath. We can't. It's very seldom that we get angry that, that self is not involved in somewhere. Somewhere in that process, usually self is involved. And that's why we associate wrath with, with, uh, with sinfulness. Now, there's a, a process here. Uh, in wrath, there's a, an offended party. There, there's wrongdoing. Uh, there's verification of truth, or we know that that's that's the person that did this. There's motives involved in the person that's carrying out the wrath. There's capacity and restraint in wrath. The Hulk is going to to have a different effect when he gets angry. He, he's going to turn over cars and destroy houses, as opposed to a, a little baby. God made babies small and weak because they get wrathful, but but they uh, and and it's a good thing that God made them small so that they don't kill us in our sleep, right? Because there's some wrath going on there, but they're weak; they can't affect that. There's some restraint there, and that's that's part of of wrath. God's wrath is perfect. God is righteous even in His wrath. Just mull that over. Think about that. Moses is explaining these things to the children of Israel. He's recording this for the children of Israel so that they can understand God's wrath. They're going to be instruments of God's wrath at some point. Uh, God is going to use them to go into the land of Canaan and utterly destroy that place. And they're going to be agents of God's wrath. So they need to understand. They need to understand God's wrath. That God hates sin. And he is angry towards sin and rebellion. They need to understand that. Now we can be encouraged today. And, and here's the, the point that I, I want you to, to mull over as well. That our hearts should be encouraged because God's people are objects of God's love, never of God's wrath. Now just think about that. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That God's people are objects of God's love, never of God's wrath. All of God's wrath toward us was placed upon Christ when he was hanging on the cross. We are now objects of God's love, not God's wrath. So from the rebellious heart of Pharaoh who was the king of Egypt, to every person that was consumed in the flood, from Ananias and Sapphira to the nation of Nineveh, God's wrath is in perfect balance. Perfect balance with all the rest of his, ad- his attributes. His love and his grace and will always be perfectly executed. 
God's wrath will always be perfectly executed. Now, he's about to unleash his wrath on these two cities. And this conversation before uh, he goes and does this, this conversation with Abraham, it leads us to, to understand a little bit about God's wrath and where God is, is coming from, his attitude. And that raises some questions. One of the questions I think that it will help us um, with today and it will help our, our attitude is how do we live in a world that's about to receive God's wrath? <laughs> you look at our America today and you just think, boy, God's wrath is, is building up. That, that tipping point is, is soon. If it's not already there, it's soon coming. How do we live in a world that is about to receive God's wrath? Now, to help us answer that question, we need to understand a little bit more about God's wrath. There's three more elements that I want us to see about God's wrath. Um, And unlike man's wrath, God's wrath is always just. It's always based upon his wisdom and it's always based upon his compassion. And God's wrath, again, is is perfect. And God's perspective of wrath will help us to establish a proper understanding of God's wrath. So often, folks... We we look at the, the bad things and we think, man, God is just not very loving. He's not very good. And that is just wrong thinking, isn't it? And sometimes the world looks at that and he they accuse our God of, of bad things because they do not understand what's going on there and the wrath of God. Look at the first point. God's wrath is justified. God's wrath is always justified. Look at verse 16. It says this, Then the men rose up. Now, they were being hosted by Abraham. They rose up from eating and from there and looked down toward Sodom. That's the place that they were headed. Uh, And Abraham was walking with them to send them on their way. And that's just what we do, isn't it? Continue on the conversation. It's always pleasant. It's always sweet fellowship there. Verse 17, now Yahweh said, shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have known him. That's an important phrase. It's kind of uh, peculiar the way he says that. I have known him so that he may command his children and his household after him, that's the children of Israel, that they may keep the way of Yahweh to do righteousness and justice. To, 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 for God to know Abraham it doesn't mean he's just, he just knows that he's going to exist. It's to call Abraham into existence. And so the, the thinking here is to elect or to choose Abraham for this very purpose. So that, he says, so that he can command his children in the ways of Yahweh. In the ways of righteousness. And so that that will be passed on from generation to generation to generation. To do righteousness and to do justice. So that Yahweh may bring about, bring upon Abraham what he was He has spoken about. That's all the blessings that God is going to pour out upon Abraham. Verse 20, then Yahweh said. So here's what Yahweh is going to do. Here's the plan. 
The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely according to its outcry, which he has which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, the the wicked cities, very extreme sinfulness. So much so that the outcry has come up to the Lord. Now, all sinfulness, all uh, uh, wrongdoing uh, is cries out to the, the God uh, who is the judge of the earth, as Abraham says here. He, he's the, the one that determines those things anyway. And throughout Scripture, we know, we see that Sodom and Gomorrah was lifted up as an example of just extreme rebellion against God, the, the, the height of rebellion against God. If you look back, let me give you a few verses. Genesis chapter 13, verse 13 says, Now the men of Sodom uh, were evil and sinners, extremely so, um, so against God. They were in their rebellion against God, shaking their fist in God's face, completely doing <clears throat> the very opposite of what God would have them do. In Jeremiah chapter, and we see examples actually all through Scripture. I'm just going to raise a, a few, though. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse uh, 14 says also, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen an appalling thing. The committed, the committing of adultery and walking in lying. And they strengthen the hand of the evildoer so that no one has turned back from this evil. All of them have become to me like Sodom. So there's, there's, a, there's a certain place or certain point of, of no return. They, they, they just cannot even come back to this. It's just a re, they remind me, this is God speaking, they remind me of Sodom and the inhabitants, he goes on to say, like Gomorrah. They're so evil, they're so wicked that they're never going to return. They're just deserving of, of God's wrath. Let me give you one other. In Jude, in the New Testament, Jude, verse 7 <clears throat> says, thus as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them have, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh are exhibiting an example in under, undergoing, in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. They've gone after strange flesh, gross sexual immorality. We get an understanding of what is going on here. <clears throat> the word sodomy today is, is the epitome of the grossest of sin, sexual sin that is contrary to God's nature that he has established. Homosexuality, lesbianism. And what we see here is Romans 1 just just played out. We, we see the rejection of God. The, the, their foolish heart becomes darkened. God gives them over then to more lust. And they exchange the truth of a God for a lie. And God gives them even further over to degrading passions. And then 
God gives them over to a depraved mind. They, they cannot return. They, they can't even process right from wrong. They're just so convoluted in their thinking. And all that's to be done there then is, um, is destruction, is, is God's wrath. And God is going down then to verify, to verify that all of these things are true, to verify that the outcry of that city has come to him. He wants to see that if it is so, he wants to make sure that it's so. That's the plan then. So he raises the question before Abraham, should, should I uh, tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And he's essentially inviting dialogue, thinking through this with Abraham. And Abraham, of course, is a, an elevated servant, an esteemed servant of God. And I love the, the fact that he says, I knew Abraham. I, I knew him. I, and the word actually can be translated, and some of your translations may say, I chose Abraham. That's what it is to be known by God, is to be chosen and, and elect and brought into that loving relationship. And that's the, that's the idea. So that that loving relationship always produces, at least in the sovereign God's election, always produces holiness and righteousness. And again, that holiness and righteousness was to be passed on from generation to generation to generation. And God would bless them. So Abraham was esteemed by, by God and allowed to be brought into this kind of dialogue. That's a wonderful thing, to, a wonderful picture here for us. So God is telling Abraham, this is what I'm about to do. I'm going to destroy this city um, because of the greatness of its sin. And he's laying it out that they, they deserve to be wiped out. The earth needs to be purged from their wickedness. They they are distorting God's glory every day. Righteousness needs to be restored. God's holiness is being violated every day that they persist in their sinfulness. They deserve to be wiped out. God is going down to investigate. And I like that idea, that term. We, it kind of conjures up a, a detective, isn't it? You're going into this detective going into a crime scene and, and he's looking at everything. He's, he's observing all of this because all of this, these things are evidence. And he's going to collect all of this evidence, verify this evidence, and it, that evidence is going to be brought and held against those perpetrators. And that's the idea. And you say, well, well, why does God have to go down? Why does God have to verify this? I mean, God knows everything, right? God doesn't live in a, in a, in a body or, or through this uh, physical body. Uh, and, and therefore, he's not limited to having to go down and, and see. He's not limited to time and, and space. He knows the sinfulness. Why, why does he do this in this physical, graphic way? He goes down, it, it talks to Abraham, goes on in. Uh, I think it's, it's because... We need a clear uh, mental image of what's going on. This is what's going on daily, folks. God knows. God sees. And now we have in, in our mind, this is what God is, is doing. That God knows and God sees what's going on in the affairs of man. In Genesis chapter 6, before uh, God destroyed the earth with a flood... It says, it just again, I, I think it's for our benefit that, that God verifies that he saw, but 
He says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, he says, And Yahweh saw the evil of man was great. Now, we know that he knows. There's nothing hidden from God. But he sees. In fact, he goes on, nothing is hidden. And every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Continue. He even sees the heart of man. Nothing's hidden from him. In Genesis chapter 11, before he, uh, uh, during the Tower of Babel, uh, before he uh, scattered the nations, uh, it says that Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which he had built. Now, God is a spirit. But he uses these term, this kind of terminology for our sake so that we can understand that he knows and that we can know that he knows. He sees what's going on. There's nothing hidden, nothing hidden there. The iniquity of this, these two cities are complete. The cup is full and his wrath is ready to be turned over. And, and he can verify that uh, uh, his wrath is justified. It's the right thing to do for, for God to, to pour upon them His wrath. Now, just by way of application for our own self, we can know, folks, that God sees America. Just think about that. God sees America. He sees what's going on. And we dare not think, like, like the uh, psalmist said in Psalm chapter 10, this wicked psalm or this uh, psalmist uh, David is portraying here in Psalm chapter 10 that uh, this idea that God doesn't see in chapter 10 and verse uh, 11 says this and he says in his heart God has forgotten he has hidden his face he's, he's looking over there he's I will never he will never see it I'm a, I believe that that's kind of where America is. They, they, they've got this idea. They've not completely abandoned God. Oh, he just doesn't see. He doesn't know. He's not looking this way. We dare not, we dare not think that way as believers. He sees the shift that's going on in America. He sees the, the change of, of direction. He sees the, the biblical norms that are just being uh, erased and, and the redefining of life uh, apart from Him. He's a careful detective. He knows what's going on. And, and He will uncover every thought, every word, every action, every motive of man's heart. Like a good detective, He will, he will know and those things will be exposed someday. And his wrath will be verified. And when his wrath comes upon man and unleashed, everybody, everyone will say, that's justified. That's the right thing to do. They deserve that. So God's wrath is always, always, always justified. He sees, he knows what's going on. God's wrath is justified. Now, quickly, let's look at the, the second one. God's wrath is used with wisdom. Now, think about that. Me and my dad would pull off his belt, and he would come into the room, and there, he was raising five boys, so it was a disaster all the time. He would come in, and, and he would spank us, and his wrath would just be everywhere, kind of uncontrolled. 
Now, if you were raised in the 60s and 70s, you probably know what I'm talking about there. But God's wrath is used with wisdom. Used with wisdom. Look at verse 22. I love this. When the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before Yahweh, then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose that there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the death, put to death the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do justice? Man, that's an interesting perspective from, from Abraham. It's coming from, obviously, from man's perspective here. Abraham knows the city deserves to be destroyed. But he also knows that, that Lot is in that city. His, his nephew. And obviously he's concerned about his nephew and his family. And he also knows that the nature of God. He knows the true nature of God. That, that, that God is a, a merciful God. And he appeals to God based upon that. that you are a just judge, God. You are, you are fair. And you should, you're, you're not going to treat, and he raises this question, will you treat the righteous the same as the wicked? Knowing in, uh, in his heart, Abraham's knowing, God knows and can distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. That would be like treating your enemy and your, your friend in, in the same way. And Abraham knows, and he's appealing to God based upon his fairness, and he pleads with God. He intercedes with God for these people that are not interceding for themselves. And so he pleads with God. And the question really is, is, is be kind of like this. In the blindness of you, his wrath, can God discern the righteous from the wicked? When he's just flailing about, Will God discern? While executing His wrath, will His heart and His mind, while His heart and His mind are inflamed, will He treat the righteous and the wicked the same? Now, if you've ever just been angry, and you probably have, that that point of just where the emotions just kick in and you're just almost out of control, you know what He's talking about here. Will God's wrath be like that? Will you? Will it, will, it, will it be just indiscriminately, or will there be some discernment here? Is God's wrath just out of control? Will He treat the, His enemies the same as His His friends? And the principle is well established then in this passage that uh, that God is establishing that that God will not punish the righteous along with the wicked. There's not going to be, is not going to carry out his wrath upon, upon the wicked. Now, Peter appeals to this same idea. It's a wonderful thing to, to know this in 2 Peter chapter 4. 2 Peter chapter 4, it's just an interesting passage, I think. Um, 
Interesting idea. Second Peter chapter, I'm sorry, chapter two and verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept in kept for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So that's the idea. He could discern. And he pulls out just the seven from all of the thousands that were on the earth. He pulls out seven. He spared Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the earth of the ungodly. And he commanded the city and he condemned the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day, By their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He can can spare us. He knows how to rescue us. He's demonstrated how how to pull out the the righteous. Just at the right time. He can pull out uh, a Rahab. From the destruction of Jericho. And save that one family. And rescue them from his own wrath. God is, God's wrath is, is a discerning wrath. His wrath is, is based upon his wisdom. Now, for us, I just want it to be a reminder for us that this is, this is not the time to be confused with the, the wicked. This is not, this is the time to be, to make sure that there's a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. That's the way we, we need to understand this. The term righteous here is not, is not just a a term or a a title or a, a label, but it's a reality of their life. You need to mull that over. It's a reality of their life, not just a, not just a title. And we saw that in, First, second Peter, that that his righteous soul was tormented even in even in that place in Christ, like Christ, folks, we do not fit in this world. We do not fit in this world. Yet many Christians are trying to fit in, aren't they? Many Christians are just trying to 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 just be be like the world. But yet a genuine believer is distinct from the world. God made us distinct to walk in the ways of righteousness, to walk in the ways of of Yahweh, just like he called Abraham, Abraham, our father, what we call our father in the faith, the ways of righteousness. Now, we are distinct from the world, not in some shallow way. And I, I know there's a lot of churches that kind of, just do hyper rules and strict rules to make us different and distinct and different clothing, different hairstyles, different. Can't play in the dirt. You have to always be nice. You have to just be sweet Christians. God has called us not in a superficial way to be distinct from the world. He's called us to down to our very core, to the very character 
of who we are. That's how we are different. We have a completely different worldview. We have a life of, of order, a daily life that, that makes sense to, to, uh, the, should make sense to us and even the world. It's a life of hope. There's morals that we hold on to. That distinguishes us. Our words, the, the message that we proclaim, the truth that we hold to, makes us different from the world. There's a difference between the righteous and the wicked. We need to, we need to understand that. And these are days, these are days to make sure that there's a clear distinction. We're not to be like the world. This is a reminder. Number three, we need to understand. So, uh, just by way of review, God's wrath is is just. And God's wrath has discernment. It's based upon God's wisdom and based upon God's discernment. Number three, God's wrath is is tempered by His compassion. And folks, this is just so good. His wrath is tempered by His compassion. Look in verse 26. Yahweh said, If I find... In Sodom, 50 righteous in the city. Then I will spare the whole place on their account. I'll I'll spare the city. That's compassion. He goes on to say, and Abraham Abraham answered and said, Now behold, there is, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, though I am but dust. Now just notice Abraham's humble attitude. Abraham wasn't selfishly trying to manipulate God. He, he was humble. He was just pouring out of compassion for his these people, for his family a lot. And he, he presents this hypothetical question here. And God says, you know what? I, I will spare the city. And then Abraham continues on down to 45, down to 40, down to 30 and 20. All the way down to ten. And God was God is going to spare the city even if there's ten. That's compassion. That's compassion. That's what God wills. He, he, will, he will do that. He is a compassionate God. Um, we understand pity. We understand that we, we can empathize with, with uh, the, the poor people who have very little or nothing. Uh, the the the, the needy. Um, there used to be commercials on TV that would show the uh, children of third world countries that uh, just impoverished. And our hearts would go out and we would give. And now we see pictures of cats and, and dogs and, and horses that are in need. And even then our hearts go out. But it, you know what? God is a compassionate God. He sees the men. He sees the need of men, and he's been waiting. His his hand, his wrath has has been on hold for about six thousand years, folks. He is patient. His his wrath is is perfect. He is not willing that any should perish. He waits one hundred and twenty years for Noah to preach the the gospel to these people. He sends Jonah to the city of of Nineveh. And pleads with that city. He is a sympathetic God. And he goes down. Can ten righteous people hold back the wrath of God? Yes. Yes. That's amazing to me. They don't deserve it. They deserve death. 
But God is a compassionate God. Folks, the church in America is probably the only thing that's holding God back from destroying us now. And I think this is the time for the church to not be limp or to be weak, but but to stand up and not lose their influence, but be a, a, a voice and have the message of truth and be influential in this in this world. We uh, we sometimes go down to the river, the New River, and see these huge boulders. And we'll watch as the as the boats come down. And you'll either have to go to the right of that boulder or to the left of that boulder. You can't go over that boulder. It, it will flip you. And you have to go to the right or to the left. We Christians, we're like that boulder. And, and that current just keeps hitting, hitting, and hitting. We have to just stand, stand firm. But But we look at Scripture, and we're not only just to stand. We're to be salt, aren't we? Not just a rock, but salt that, that shines the way for the world. We're to be, we're to be, I'm sorry, uh, salt that, that preserves, that, that retards the, the decay of the world. And we're to be light that, that shows the way to the world. We're not to just be passive. We're to be active in our righteousness. Folks, our our hearts should be encouraged today. God's people are objects of God's love, never of God's wrath. That should encourage us. Now, let me just quickly just apply this and we'll we'll be finished. God's wrath is just. I'm sorry, God's wrath is justified, right? It's the right thing to do. So what do we do? What do we do with that? We warn. We, We warn. God's wrath is coming. We warn. If we love people, we will warn them of the consequences of dying in their sins. Number two, if God's wrath is discerning, if there's wisdom there, then we have to be cautious, don't we? We have to be discerning. We have to have clearly distinct lives of of righteousness in this world. If God is a God of compassion, then what do we do? Like Abraham, we plead with God. Oh God, bring more into your kingdom. Oh oh God, spare this city. Spare my family. I know how wicked my family are. Oh Lord, please. Will Will you destroy it? Even if there's just one person in that family that is a believer, will you hold back your judgment? Folks, that's that's our attitude. Living in a a nation, living in a community or a family, we plead to God. It, 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 ca- it should cause us to, to beg God on their behalf. On their behalf. God's righteousness or God's wrath is, is perfect. And it sets a tone even for our own life. We recognize the sinfulness. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm with you. I, I say, Lord, just destroy this country. It, it's a mess. There's no way it can return. But then I listen to Abraham and I say, oh, Lord, please, please work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. It's so precious and so good. Thank you for the example of Abraham. That it was so bold to, to come to you and, and plead with you. 
But Lord, he knows that you're a compassionate God. He knows that you're, that you're good and that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I pray if there's anyone here that, that is not repented before you, not, not repented of their sin and turned from that sinfulness and turned to righteousness, I pray, Lord, that you would work in their heart. That you would avoid your, their, your wrath upon them. And Lord, we thank you for your love. That we are objects of your love and not your wrath. Lord, that gives us comfort. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.